If you've been listening to the Business of Biotech podcast for a while now, you'll recall that Aaron Harris has joined me to co-host a few episodes. Aaron's my friend, colleague, and chief editor over at sellandgene.com, and she just recently launched a podcast of her own. It's aptly named Sell and Gene, the podcast. And if you're working in the Sell and Gene space, you should give it a listen. It's a collection of interviews with the industry and academic leaders moving the space forward. And you can find it at sellandgene.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sell and Gene, the podcast. Check it out. Welcome back to the Business of Biotech. I'm Matt Piller. And we're shifting gears a little bit today for discussion on genetic medicine with a man who grabbed onto the bleeding edge of the field back in 2010 when he co-founded a company called Precision Nanosystems. Now, this is a bit of a departure for us because Precision Nanosystems isn't developing its own proprietary pipeline of therapeutics. It's more of a, a platform company for new cell and gene therapeutic development. And uh, my guest today is going to correct me if I'm wrong on that and sort of help uh paint a little bit more of a, of a picture of what they do. But um, I'd just say that generally speaking, we we wouldn't go out of our way on the business of biotech to seek out and secure leaders of translational or platform companies as, as guests on the show. And that's nothing personal. It's just a function of my mission to focus on the leaders of emerging biopharma companies who are developing pipelines of therapeutics. But the stuff that Precision Nanosystems is working on is new enough but I think it's important enough to warrant a necessary exception, necessary because there simply aren't enough uh, clinical stage biofarmers with a history of manufacturing, uh, supply, clinical, or otherwise um, supplies of, of certain siRNAs and mRNAs and DNAs and, and CRISPR therapeutics. So to have a discussion about the development and manufacturing challenges and opportunities associated with the modalities that we're just starting to leverage, why not talk with a guy who was working toward that end long, long before mRNA became sort of a household uh, conversation piece? Dr. James Taylor is our guest today, and he earned his PhD in genetics and bioengineering from the Institute for Systems Biology at the University of British Columbia after studying the physics of electrical engineering as an undergrad. Remind me, Dr. Taylor, to ask you about that combination. <laughs> talk. Uh, while working toward his PhD, he learned the capital markets uh, as a fellow at VC analyst firm Accelerator Corporation. Sort of provides an early hint into his ambitions. From there, it was on to the Center for Drug Research and Development, where he honed some personalized medicine development skills in advance of co-founding Precision Nanosystems. Dr. Taylor, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, and and very excited to be here, Matt. Uh, yeah, please, James, call me James, and um, you know, really enjoy the podcast. So it's a it's a pleasure to be be a part of it. So you know, thanks for putting this together. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you enjoy it, and I'm honored to have you. And uh, I may bounce between James and Dr. Taylor. I like sure. reference where it's due. So I want to get some more background on uh, on you and sort of the genesis story behind. Precision Nanosystems, and we can dovetail into that what exactly, how you sort of define the company. But I want to start with 2010, you know, your, your co-founding of the company. Um, that was early days, as I said, for uh, what we now call advanced therapies, mRNA, you know, RNA anything, uh, cell and gene. What, what was the intention back then? 
you know, 20 going on 22 years ago. I'm yeah, sorry. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. 12. Years. Yeah. 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 12 years. Yeah. No, very good. So it was, uh, it certainly was early days and, and we founded the company. I founded it, um, uh, with my co-founding team about a year out of my, my PhD. And, uh, we did this with our, our my co-founders, uh, my key entrepreneurial co-founder is, uh, Dr. Ewan Ramsey, who has a PhD postdoc in pharmaceutical sciences, really in, in genetic medicines on the early days of that, as well as uh, with UBC professors, Carl Hansen. And I did much of my PhD with Carl Hansen. Um, uh, we published microfluidics papers together. I did a lot of microfluidics during my PhD, which is part of precision. Um, different different types of microfluidics, but Carl and I published in that area. Carl is now the CEO of his company, which is Abcelera, another uh, fast growing company in our in our area here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dr. Peter Cullis, and we really came out of his laboratory. and And Peter Cullis is a a world leader uh, in lipid nanoparticle delivery systems. So really helping to build this field, really from the start, uh, forty plus years ago, and really helped to build both the academic and industry sides of this. And, and through that and through Peter's efforts, Vancouver, Canada is really a hub for uh, lipid nanoparticle delivery systems and RNA delivery and other delivery of other types of drugs um, with many uh, companies here, lots of industry in the area and lots of the approved drugs coming from technologies built in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So when we were looking to found precision, it was really focused around you know, solving a key problem in the field, which namely was the ability to create and make these drugs is, is very difficult. They're very sophisticated med- medicines. Um, you know, they're comprising hundreds of thousands of molecules that self-assemble into these structures that then are your final drug product. And you can see some of the cartoons of them behind behind me here. Yeah. Um, but with that, we we you know we were really true believers and the of the concept of genomic medicine. I came out of my PhD at the uh, ISB uh, in Seattle with concepts around systems medicine and systems biology. And so our first funding was a grant focused around sequencing tumors and and creating bespoke sRNA um, delivered drugs towards that. Um, But since that time, and that was, you know, clearly was very early uh, thinking and optimistic uh, that that would be possible. Uh, But since that time, we've really focused around building the full stack of technology. So, you know, from manufacturing to delivery to the expertise and, and really, you know, proud of the impact that we've made in the field and working with hundreds of companies to really help to build this, this field whereby the process is the product. And it's really important to be able to uh, be able to make these drugs, be able to create them. And our goal really is to, to allow any scientist now to become a genomic medicine developer. And I think that's, that's, that's coming to the fore. You think that's coming to the fore? So that, and and I want to I want to spend some time on what the what the fore is, right? Like, where are we on sort of the the genetic medicine continuum? You've been in the space for quite some time, um, and I, it's almost an impossible question to 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 answer because how far does the continuum go, right? So it's, it's difficult to pinpoint where we are right now. Just offer some perspective on how far we've come, um, and and how much further we need to go to reach, I don't know, the point of your choice. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, my bias is I'm an optimist. um, And I think you need to be as an entrepreneur. Um, But I would say, you know, and I strongly believe uh, this is that, you know, we're at the very beginning of what will be a major revolution in medicine, potentially the biggest revolution in medicine that we've seen. And I, I personally believe that 
genomic medicines will become the, the largest class of therapeutics. And this is driven by a few you know, inherent um, things as part of these, these types of drugs and driven by the, the just inherent genetic nature of biology, driven by how genomic medicines are information-based, essentially digital, um, driven by the now the breadth and continued validation of the genomic medicine toolbox. And now with that, and for other factors as well, the democratization of the ability to make these drugs, whereby you know every science can be a genomic medicine developer. And so, you know, if you look at say, you know, regarding our our biology, you know, therapeutics have seen great success when they really utilize the same biological processes of our body. And so, you know, genetic medicine does exactly this. The makeup and function of our body is is encoded in and, and regulated by our own genetic materials consisting of RNA and DNA. So delivering RNA and DNA allows us to really treat disease and play on the same playing field as our biology. Um, also, and very different from traditional therapeutics like small molecules and protein-based drugs that rely on 3D structure to have their effect and interact with the target, genomic medicines really are sequence-based. So they really are information or digital-based. And so I, I, you know, I believe similar to what we saw with when computation went from analog to digital, you know, medicine now has the opportunity to, to do the same. And what this means is that design, the drugs are now designed, we say, designed, not discovered, uh, these types of drugs, whereby you can go from target to uh, drug candidate in the matter of days. You don't need to hire your army of med chemists to create a molecule that may or may not do what you want it to do to the given, given target. And then, as you mentioned at the start, you know, there's sRNA, there's mRNA, there's gene editing technologies. We have a, a very diverse and increasingly validated genomic medicine toolbox. So we really now can do anything we want to a given gene and, you know, treat, affect it in whatever way is needed to cure disease. We can turn off a, you know, a mutated gene that's causing a, a rare disease, a protein that's a bad actor. We can, we can turn that off. And there's marketed drugs now that do that. We can express, you can use mRNA to express, you know, proteins that are missing or in the case of vaccines, encode proteins that would teach the immune system of a given pathogen. And then with gene editing technologies, you know, we can, you know, for the first time, sequence specifically go in and fix problems directly in a patient's genome, which is just, just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just a wonderful time. And, and we're really, you know, uh, I think um, philosophically, I'm very excited about you know, the, the democratization of the field. And because of this information nature, the digital nature, plus, you know, activities of our companies and others and, you know, the field itself, it's pretty easy to, to get started making these drugs as compared to what it has been in the past. And so if you're a, if you're a biologist and you understand some new understanding of disease, you can, you know, in a matter of a week, create a, 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 a candidate drug product that can potentially affect that um, with some caveats on, you know, where the technology works best and so on, but it's, it's really remarkable and, and, and extremely exciting. I think it'll be hugely beneficial for society. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, you, you put a lot on the table there, Dr. Taylor. There's a lot, lot, lot of follow-up questions. Yeah. I need, I need to, I need to figure out where to start. So first of all, uh, genomic medicine and your commentary around, it's a bold statement to say, you think it's going to be the, you know, the largest, whatever words you want to use, share, share of market and and biologic therapeutics, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. 
It's a big statement. Um, Underneath that genomic medicine umbrella, do you have a hard stop anywhere where you say like this, this, and this count, this, this does not as quote unquote genomic medicine, because, you know, you, you mentioned a few genomic editing. I mean, gene, gene therapy there's, and then of course there are other modalities, perhaps even small molecules that somehow affect or influence right? Diseases that are are related to genetic medicine. I, I'm just curious if you have sort of a, you know. Yeah, it's uh, a good question. Uh, I don't know. Fast rules, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I do, but it's, um, I think, I think we could say maybe if we needed to, to, to really um, put a border around it, using sequence, using, you know, um, sequence specific modulation of a, of a target. So that would be RNA, um, obviously the silencing, expressing gene editing now sequence specific, you know, I think, but you're right. The scope creep, it gets a little gray when you start thinking about, you know, there's other really interesting technologies that will be enabled by this, by this as well. Like, um, we, you know, there's companies involved in non-coding RNA that use their secondary structure to, uh, to affect the, the target per se. Um, or you know other epigenetic regulators and so on, but it's it's a it's a big field. It's 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 uh, there's a lot of things that can or that are possible. You know, you can deliver an mRNA to express a monoclonal antibody. There's you know there's just a tremendous amount of creativity that I think that is being unlocked in the scientific community that we just couldn't couldn't access before. But these technologies are are really enabling that. Yeah, yeah, and you know some of the the beginning of the conversation, we were kind of talking about uh, how far we've come and, and your point around democratization of, of uh, availability, right. Access to um, genetic medicine is, is sort of, it underscores just how far things have come in such a short period of time. Um, You know, obviously this was an extremely expensive thing to even think about, uh, you know, 10, even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, where does that democratization start though? Because there are certainly, you know, I mean, gene therapy certainly is still not the, you know, it's not a, not, not, not a standard of care, cheap date, if you will. Where, where does that democratization start? Where do we see it happening now? And where is it going from, from there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, I can't pretend to be an expert in say viral based gene therapies. Uh, when people use the term gene therapy, often they're, they're implying like a, a viral delivery for a permanent or a somewhat permanent, um, uh, expression of a, of a protein. Um, you know, in terms of the, the technologies we involve with nanoparticle RNA based systems, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, you know, for instance, not to dwell too much on our company per se, but you know we have a benchtop in- manufacturing instrument and benchtop lipid nanoparticle kits, and you can order RNA from a another supplier, and in a you know in a couple of days we could have you making on you know essentially on your desk there a um, a candidate vaccine mm-hmm. that would look very much like the you know the the approved vaccines now in the RNA space. Yeah. So with that, you know the democratization I think is 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 very deep. Um, whereby you don't need that pharmaceutical expertise, you can have um, you know work within the industry to to have that. And so, um, you know, we we love working with the academics that are you know have some new understanding of biology or some new you know maybe it's a new gene editing uh, flavor or what have you, right? And then can work with them very quickly to to get going. But I think 
I think as we move to the future, you know, similar to how DNA sequencers got to the point where they enabled everyone to sequence everything, it's the same, it's the other side of the coin where now with genomic medicines, we can get everyone to, instead of measure and create diagnostics to perturb biology and to create, create therapeutics, which I think is going to be tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess in, in retrospect, right, look, looking back on the question I just asked around where the dem- democratization starts is probably, probably a dumb question because a- anyone listening to the <laughs> this episode would probably think to themselves, well, duh, the COVID vaccine, right? I mean, we've, if that's not <laughs> democratization of a, of, a, of a technology, I don't know what is, federally funded vaccination sure, yeah. for everyone in the world. Um, but we, let's talk about that specifically for a minute. What's been the impact? I mean, obviously there's, as I said, it's, it's, uh, it's mRNA is, is a household term now. Whether people yeah. understand it or not, they, they, they say it, right, um, in relation to the COVID vaccine. But what's that done for the field? Yeah, great. And I, I would say um, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, you have insiders like myself, um, scientists, entrepreneurs, investors that have been believers for a long period of time. And, and you know, even the companies that have, have made the big impact, the Moderna, BioNTech, you know, they, they, they didn't come from out of nowhere, right? They had big programs, you know, lots of work in cancer vaccines or other infectious disease vaccines. So, and a lot of investors supporting that. So there's a lot of folks that have been believers but I think with, for them, for us anyways, speak for myself, you know, it really validated, you know, what we were hoping would be possible. Um, and then for everyone else, it just put a huge spotlight on what's possible and has created, you know, a lot more stakeholders and a lot more interest in the field for, for good reasons, you know, and, and the mRNA vaccines, you know, it, this would be remarkable if a single mRNA vaccine came out of it as, you know, a, a me too or something or a follow on. But the, the, what we saw was that these vaccines won the vaccine race in almost every other, every category. So speed, efficacy, limited side effects, ability now to respond to variants. So it really just shows that this is truly a disruptive technology that's, um, you know, eclipsed the competition and uh, bodes well for the future in terms of what could be possible. Um, you know, really highlighted the differentiating factors. And I think as we move forward, other factors like manufacturability, ability to do local manufacturing and country manufacturing, all these different concepts that now can be possible with these technologies are going to further disrupt and and enable the field in, in very, very positive ways. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. I've heard um, just anecdotally uh, had, had conversations with folks in the space who kind of look, kind of see the the forward facing um, continuum for mRNA technology as a vac- vaccine or therapeutic candidate, going kind of from COVID, obviously, to influenza, other related uh, respiratory diseases, um, but beyond viral uh, diseases 
there seems to be, I don't know if I'd call it consensus, but just anecdotally some agreement that oncology is a space that could benefit from quote unquote mRNA vaccine technology. Um, and it, 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 it raises a question in my mind around who is, and you're, uh, you know, you've got an interesting perspective on this, on the response mm-hmm. to this question. The question is like, who um, is getting in that game now beyond the folks who are, the, the myriad folks who are working on, you know, COVID and SARS and respiratory, uh, vir- you know, viral vaccine candidates using mRNA. Are they traditional kind of therapeutics companies who are, you know, work, have maybe have monoclonal antibodies or, or other, you know, traditional vaccine technologies who are now going, okay, like we need to get on this game? Or is it a whole new class from, from an emerging biotech standpoint? Is it a whole new class of, of companies who are kind of starting from uh, day one with mRNA? Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think you're seeing, you know, all comers, I would say, um, from large, you know, large pharma is, they, and they've been in the space kind of as, as, you know, small teams of innovating within large pharma. We've seen that some really innovative groups, uh, but I would say that you know, now a lot of them are coming more fulsome and you're seeing some of the M&A activity around that as well. Uh, but in terms of emerging companies, you know, we're seeing a lot, a lot of emerging companies come to the fore um, whereby, um, you know, I guess in, in two, two types of ways, one way, having a new, um, RNA platform of, of some sort or another, some, some twist on, on, on something being developed and then having now the access to the delivery technologies that enable those RNA platforms, they can move very quickly and can be very smart in, in choosing targets and tissues and so on to, 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 to prove out their own technologies in, in, in very interesting ways. And then secondly, I would say you have an opportunity where, again, it's a very accessible technology um, comparatively, uh, whereby, you know, once you understand something about disease, you know, that, that in itself is a, you know, that to me, that should be the hard part, creating the drug that goes and perturbs that disease um, should be the much easier part. Uh, it's not not there yet, but, um, yeah. but I think now we're seeing those companies or those groups and people just wanting to solve disease problems, and they can use this technology as another, you know, really important quiver uh, arrow in their quiver. Um, but really, it's um, you can get going and testing hypotheses, testing uh, disease, you know, directly by affecting the gene that you're going after. Yeah, yeah, you've you've mentioned a couple times the accessibility of the technology, yeah. and I think you know, yeah. It's uh, agreed, but yeah. uh, I think where I'm where I'm hearing, you know, the the challenge that lies ahead uh, is beyond sort of that discovery and experimentation phase. And you know, now we're looking at uh, okay, we've got a potential uh, therapeutic candidate. Um, how do we how do we build? How do we manufacture it? If we, if if we get to the point where we're you know needing phase two clinical volumes scale, how how do we possibly do that when we're you know, not necessarily purpose built to, to do it. And I don't sure. know what that looks like. I'm asking, you know, I, I'm not sure if you do either from a manufacturing perspective, but I'm curious about your take on that. Like are, are folks just trying to go, you know, horns down into the mRNA space using like viral vector manufacturing technology, or are they, you know, kind of putting things to <laughs> cobbling things together to, to make mRNA work? What does that look like? Yeah. So I would say, um, so in terms of the, so if you're the drug developer, you have companies like ours and, and others that you can can work with 
um, sort of an outsource model to help with your manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So you can you can go the distance, um, you know, through pretty far through your clinical trials by by leveraging um, technologies like ours, companies you know like ours, and so on to do that. So so you can really carry the ball uh, with that, and it's um, you know I think that's a pretty normal model across a lot of therapeutics right now. Um, In regards to how these drugs are made compared to other biologics. So the, the manufacturing processes for uh, nanoparticle RNA based drugs is quite different than for say a protein or even a viral based gene therapy, whereby the, um, the traditional biologics for say uh, like proteins and, and viral based gene therapies are using cells as factories. Right, so they have cell um, tanks to 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 produce the the protein, and there's purification steps and so on. I'm I'm no expert in those those processes, uh, but what we what we do with RNA nanoparticles, it's it's a it's a process based on physics. So you're basically in a continuous flow format, uh, getting a nano precipitation reaction to work, where you have molecules in solution. And you're bringing those together to create the final drug product, but there's no cells involved when you're making the final when you're making the drug product. So it's a, it's a, it's in essence, it's a simpler process. You know, we can, you can then, um, I think in the future it'll be very interesting to see, you know, the ability to stand up manufacturing facilities much much easier, faster, smaller footprint. Um, you know, go to concepts from you know, the current centralized manufacturing paradigm of the pharmaceutical industry to more distributed manufacturing paradigms uh, and, 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 and do this, you know, there's, there's challenges and I would say hard, but tractable challenges that are, are needed to, to overcome to get there. But it certainly is, is where the field I would say is, is pointing. Yeah. What, what do you, so that's another, you know, big stack distributed models. Um, and we're talking about some pretty significant paradigm shifts. What do you, what do you see as, I mean, and again, <laughs> I recognize and I appreciate the fact that you told me from the outset that you're an optimist. Yeah. And so am I, right? If you work in the life sciences and you're not optimistic, <laughs> you probably need to find a new job. Yeah. Um, so I, so I appreciate that, but where, you know, if you put your sort of, you know, not, not your pessimist hat, but your objective hat on wh- what challenges lie between now and that distributed model where, you know, uh, we can, I want to talk about regulatory as well, but that distributed model where regulatory issues have been addressed, manufacturing issues are, are ironed out. We've got efficacious therapies, uh, you know, again, democratized. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what do you see as the big challenges? Like what are our next steps that next hurdles that we need to overcome? Yeah. For manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's a good, great question. And, um, so, you know, as I said, some of the, so the processes are different, you know, some of the technologies, for instance, technologies that we develop are fit for purpose, you know, really only designed with this type of drug in mind. Mm-hmm. Some of the other technologies utilized have been repurposed from say protein therapeutics, be it the um, filtration technologies and so on that are involved in, in bioprocessing. Um, I think where we need to go and, and what I'm very keen uh, uh, to be involved in is to create really a fit for purpose end to end clinical manufacturing platform that allows us to go from raw materials to final final drug, right? And then once we do that, um, I think you can uh, you know really set that up in a in a systematic 
way, you know, the future of manufacturing with, um, uh, be it automation or, or really um, create a, a system where you can replicate that in a very reproducible way across geographies is very possible and doable with these technologies, I believe. Um, there's a lot of engineering that needs to happen between here and there, but um, but I, I think that's where we, we really need to go as an industry and treat this therapeutic class, you know, with this, you know, the same level of conviction that we have around that this is going to be a big, important therapeutic class. And, and there's problems that specifically need to be solved. And so, you know, for example, we work with companies that are making one drug per patient in sort of the, the cancer arena, right? Personalized cancer vaccines in other areas. So then in the other spectrum, you have the COVID vaccines that are trying to get into, you know, everyone in the world. And there's, there's drugs that fit that full spectrum. And so you need to solve problems, you know, pretty unique problems across those different spectrums. Um, but they're all very worthwhile to to solve appropriately. Yeah, yeah. Where where do you see um, the the next big? You, you know, you and I both mentioned oncology. Um, it, it, it is that the next big therapeutic area for the for this technology, or do you think there are other yeah. other avenues of take? Yeah, in genomic medicine, what we see. Um, uh, in areas, the big indications I think people are gravitating to at this point in time, um, uh, it's in every indication, I would say, you know, people are working on, again, very creative, the field's doing very innovative stuff, working at every indication, but we, you know, we see a lot in infectious disease through the vaccine platforms. Now you have at RNA lipid nanoparticles um, data in patients across such a large number of patients, which is, which is, which is really useful for those platforms. But then, like you said, getting into flu, getting into other areas, even uh, companies are even doing very hard problems like malaria and HIV. Uh, we'll see how that works on on more more um, challenging targets uh, in that way. Cancer, personalized cancer vaccines, neoantigen approaches would be a, a, a key area that uh, the vaccine platforms can readily move over. And I, I think there, then the question becomes, does the the biology of of cancer vaccines, you know, when, when we can really figure to get that to work really well. Um, but then there's other applications. I think rare disease is a big spot uh, where rare diseases are um, uh, driven by changes in, in single genes, um, uh, you know, 80% of the cases. So being able to either turn that given gene off or on um, can have a huge impact. And, and the sRNA field has has really um, cut their teeth in the rare disease space, I would say. Um, and then other things like expression of functional proteins. So you can express, you know, the gene editing technologies. They rely on, uh, in certain cases, mRNA to deliver the encoded endonucleases, the Cas9s and other variants of that. Um, you know, you, there's companies that have, are secreting cytokines, uh, delivering uh, expression of uh, mRNA to express cytokines. So secreted proteins are the antibody example I gave. Um, and then just other other sort of kind of out there ideas that are really interesting, like delivery of protein, delivery of RNA that express epigenetic regulators, um, tRNA, long non-coding RNA. So a lot of really interesting things. And I think, yeah, I... That's a long list, obviously, um, yeah. somewhat rank ordered, I suppose, but, um, but hopefully that's, yeah, helpful. Sure. No, that, that absolutely. Um, I, I just heard, I just heard ORNA the other day. Is yeah. It, that's yeah. it. 
It's a new one every day. <laughs> just doing every day. I was just thinking, I'm thinking like, what, what, what letter do I want to tack on? Um, do you, when you look at those opportunities, those, those therapeutic opportunities, uh, are you, are you seeing um, the technology, the potential of the technology to address specific indications driving those matches, or is it more the markets driving those matches. And I know it's a balance. You know, this is the business of biotech. We recognize that there's a balance between these two things, but I'm just curious about your take on that. Is it a, is it a market kind of patient need driven uh, growth initiative? Uh, is, is that what's driving growth or is it more this technology is particularly well suited to, to address these uh, specific classes of disease? Yeah, sure. I, you know, and COVID aside where, you know, society had to throw everything it got at solving that problem. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I, there's definitely a pull from both sides. I think a lot of companies will um, take a, uh, an approach if you're a new gene editing technology or you have a new you know, ORNA, what have you. You know, going after where where the where you have the best chance of success is a smart approach, and everyone's going after you know diseases of high medical need, right? So you solve a problem that's important to to patients. Um, but then having a technology focused approach to get validation of your uh, of your platform. So you, you're trying to to avoid stacking technology risk uh, on these new platforms, I think, is a smart approach. And then you can from there expand out into other applications. And, you know, um, some of the leaders in the field have been very successful uh, in that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the regulatory scene because that influences everything. Um, what, 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 what's your, what's your take on where we are from a regulatory perspective? Now, you know, the obvious place to start is, wow, you know, emergency youth authorization, uh, <laughs> move, moving right on through. Right. But that's yeah. not, gonna, that's not going to be the case with the next, uh, MRNA vaccine. Um, so w- where's the agency from your perspective and where should biopharmacists who are working on these therapies be in terms of their relationships or approach to the agency? Oh yeah, I think I think um, I think working closely with the agency is is important, and I think that was you know the efforts put by the agency and the companies and governments uh, with COVID was was I thought was a really positive example of of everyone working hand in hand to solve that big problem, and to take a, a good balance of of um, caution as well as you know getting solutions to to people, um, you know. I, and I, and I think as these new emerging therapeutics happen, there needs to be a close knit relationship, um, uh, of education and, and, you know, and, 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 um, uh, um, you know, really hearing the needs from the agency and, 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 and fitting those in, mm-hmm. um, I would say, you know, where we are at today from a technology perspective, we have increasing clinical validation of various platforms, clearly vaccines, a lot of validation you know i think as we look to the next one and and you know looking at systemic delivery different dosages um uh we'll have to you know i think as we go through those clinical trials and and see the data you know hopefully it comes out clean often there's setbacks in this industry you know nothing's as linear as it as everyone would love um but i think again the technology will get continue to get improved and 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 push forward uh, to enable uh, different, you know, types of of indications to be 
enabled. And these are very platform technologies. So if you get, you know, one drug through, uh, and it and it and it goes well. It really bodes well, I think, for the second and third and fourth and, and next drugs that use similar mechanisms, but maybe target a different a different gene. Yeah, you mentioned the simplicity of the of the production and manufacturing approach, uh, especially as it relates to perhaps you know some current um, bio, biologic processes. Um, what, how do you think that plays out from, uh, an internal manufacturing versus outsourced, you know, C- CDMO, CMO relationship moving forward? You know, we've seen, we see it playing out in cell and gene right now where, you know, there's, there's this handful of companies who are developing cell and gene therapies who say like what we're doing is so intense, so complex and so proprietary. There's no way I would outsource it to my, you know, my mom. If mm-hmm. she were a, you know, if, if she were a leader in her space, and then a whole bunch of other folks in the exact same space going like, this is this is so complex and expensive to do. There's no way we wouldn't outsource it, right? We can't build our own uh, manufacturing facilities. This, you know, I'm asking you to kind of look mm-hmm. quite a ways into the future right now. But what what do you see playing out? You know, five, six, ten years down the road in terms of manufacturing capacity um, for genomic medicine, and will it be? In, in in sourced or outsourced? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know if I have a, a good answer on this one. I, I think it's, um, I think that you could argue both ways. Like it's, um, we'll continue to see the, the outsourcing of uh, the, the clinical manufacturing. At the same time, I think um, due to the simplicity, it might encourage people to, to bring in house, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Potentially standing these up will be um, less onerous. I think. I think a lot of that has to be proven out, though, over the next, you know, five or so years, of, as people make those, de- as the pharma companies make those decisions and and do the calculus on what what makes the most sense for them. Okay. Um, but it's a really interesting question and something that we're thinking a lot about right now as well. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure it influences your business decision yeah. making. Um, yeah. You know go forward. So we're running a bit short on time here, uh, James, but I want to, I want to make sure we have some, some time to talk about what's next for precision nanosystems. Um, I don't know if you want to share yeah. some of the latest tech tech advances there or, or business, uh, business advances. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so we, you know, as I think I said at the start, you know, we're really focused around, building the, you know, the, the full stack of technologies to make uh, these types of therapeutics. And, and what we really aim to do is to really help drug companies to um, you know, take a lot of the risk off of, of, of actually making and producing these types of drugs. And so that includes for us, our, our nano assembler uh, manufacturing platform uh, around nanoparticle genetic uh, genetic medicines, mm-hmm. our Genvoy lipid nanoparticle based RNA delivery platform, um, as well as providing our deep expertise. So is how how we like to operate and really support our, our our partners as much as possible. And so, in terms of what's going on, we're continuing to innovate in all aspects of these platforms, particularly in in the clinical um, clinical side of of the of the area. Um, you know, we're working with hundred com- hundreds of companies in the area uh, with this really across all indications. Uh, you know, recently and en- started to enter in a in a very meaningful way into cell therapy using these technologies to help to um, to do uh, interesting things and in, in, in ex vivo type approaches. Uh, and then, as you know, we're recently acquired by the the Danaher Life Science Platform. 
uh, who you know has you know the the industry leading technology that's very complementary to ours across the full process. So we're really excited about um, you know putting combining efforts and really creating that end to end um, fit for purpose ideal solution that's really going to help the industry um, uh, you know accelerate its development and get more of these medicines through the clinic and to patients. Yeah, that's it's interesting. It's a it's timely. I think fit for fit for purpose is uh, you know when I when I referenced earlier that I talked to a lot of companies who are kind of like trying to make do with what they have and figure out yeah. how to work. Fit for purpose is what's what's seemingly missing right now. So it's important work that's going on over there. Very great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time, Doctor Taylor. It's a it's a pleasure talking with you, and I hope to have you back on the show sometime. But I appreciate the insight and and kind of glimpse into what's going on in this space. Like I said, it's uh, very very few have the perspective that you do, so it's important to share. Well, likewise, thank you so much. I enjoyed it, and I look forward to this in future podcasts as well. Excellent. So that's Precision Nano Systems, Doctor James Taylor. I'm Matt Pillar, and this is the Business of Biotech. We are produced by. Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. Please visit cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech to explore a trove of custom curated content designed to help guide the emerging biopharma's journey. Then go sign up for my newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. And if you like what you heard here today, subscribe to the pod, give us five stars. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks.